Market moving insight and analysis. Join Jim Cramer, David Faber, and me, Carl Quintanilla, on the opening bell hour of CNBC Squawk on the Street. Good Friday morning. Welcome to Squawk on the Street. I'm Carl Quintanilla with Jim Cramer and David Faber. Final day of July and futures are green as we got three out of four blowouts on mega cap tech last night. The impasse continues in Congress on that extension of benefits. Earnings from Cat Exxon Merck. Gold hits 2005 this morning, headed for its best month since 2012. But Jim, Nasdaq's going to open above its record close and we know why. Uh, I have to tell you, this was just a parade of, uh, of both American ingenuity and strength. Uh, there was a, a time when I was listening to Brian. Uh, uh, I shouldn't just limit it to Amazon. Every conference call last night, with the exception of Google, uh, was in- incredible. Uh, the power of these companies is extraordinary. And I don't think that we can actually uh, brief uh, Brian Olsofsky when he talks. He's the CFO of uh, Amazon. When he talks about the idea that basically we didn't know we were making going to make Billions of dollars more than we did. Not not tens of millions, not hundreds of millions, but billions. What a juggernaut. Most impressive of last night. And I have David, I have a lot of good things to say about the others. And I can even say good things about Google. But Amazon, frankly, is a company that basically does has no idea how much money it can make. Who's ever I've never seen a company like this. No, there's there's never been a company like this. Now, well, and the market agrees with you and investors have for a long time, Jim, but they have delivered on that hope, I guess. I mean, in speaking to a couple of investors this morning, this is basically what they say is one of the best quarters they've ever yeah. seen. And, and ever. that sounds like hyperbole, but in some ways, I guess it's true um, yes. that it is. It's certainly for a technology company, one of the best quarters they've ever seen. Obviously, we've talked a great deal about the retail business, the incredible tailwind it has. But AWS even, where the bogey was, what, for 27%, I think they were up 29%. Uh, And you know, guys, what also is just incredible, think about this. They added 175,000 employees in a quarter. In a quarter. (laughs) The Army can't do that. You're right. I mean, Carl, when I look at the things that they did, they spent $4 billion. $4 $4 billion on COVID-19 related expenses, and they still blew the number out? They told you it was almost impossible to be able to do that. When you add all those people, I don't want to, don't get this wrong, but when you're in these situations, those people are considered dead weight until they're trained. Because remember, they don't bring in any money. And yet, there they are doing amazing things. Amazon taking care of them. I know there are issues, David, because you have talked about the company and the way they treat people. I think they've gotten better. But this is they have they've gotten better yeah. and they've raised the wage, as you know, it's now 15 yes. bucks minimum an hour. Uh, and there is some health care as well. So they've definitely improved, even to the extent that I think remember when Bernie Sanders sort of gave them a, a pat on the back at some point along the way, Jim. So yes. they definitely improved. And now they're the second largest employer in the country after Walmart. Well, I, I've got to tell you that they rediscovered that. America discovered that they don't need to leave their house. There's a thing called Amazon, and, and that includes for food. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, Carl, I, I just sometimes you just have to marvel at what companies can do. And this company is that may be, I, I know, uh, Apple's the rival, one of the finest companies I've ever seen. And we've got to stop the Amazon web. It's 43 billion run rate. We have to stop thinking about the reason why a stock is at that price is because it's because Jay Powell is making easy money. It is not. It's because of Jeff Bezos. 
creating a company that is the envy of the world. Yeah, Jim, I heard you talk about that with uh, Becky and Andrew a moment ago, and we, we can try to distill the influence of the Fed, but... I mean, look at income and spending this morning, right? Income down, spending up. I know you don't believe that Apple would have sold as many phones or Amazon would have sold as much merchandise had it not been for government support. Some of that uh, Fed driven. Well, I guess I look at it the other way. Um, we could be in a horrible recession and yet these guys still made the numbers. And how is that possible? I mean, why did Alphabet not make the numbers? Because they had a lot of travel and leisure advertising that walked away. But the small, small medium-sized businesses, you're absolutely right, a lot of them are kept alive by what Mnuchin and what Congress is doing, and that really helped Facebook's numbers. But uh, Amazon is, uh, has become as integral to people's lives, as, uh, more integral to people's lives than anything I've ever seen other than food. Yeah. Right. Well, but, it's I mean, we, but, Jim, the results I'm, are amazing. And, and Deutsche this morning calls them humongous. Yes. But the whole quarter is layered in tragedy, guys. It's layered in tragedy because the company was built for a pandemic like this one. We now have four or five, I think five targets with a four handle, including Deutsche at four thousand, right. which value which would imply a two trillion dollar valuation. Um, Amazon dominates two of the biggest secular trends of our lifetime, they say, Jim. Obviously, that's going to be online retail and cloud. I'm thinking it's, it's a Shakespearean tragedy. Apple's is a Shakespearean history. And uh, Facebook is a Shakespearean comedy. Really does work when you think about it. The bard really... <laughs> Wait, the does bard that mean a, Facebook has a happy ending? Yes, it really does. Yeah, the last, well, how does the that, last yeah. line is Zuckerberg talking about small business. Right there, small business. Mm. It was terrific. Remember when all these big companies pulled out? But Zuckerberg had it. The arc of that call was definitely Shakespearean. I liked it. <laughs> hey, don't. The Bard has you, games you, still. Always. always. Always, right? Even if it was a bunch of chimpanzees really just typing, you know, randomly. <laughs> but yes, no, always. Uh, why not fuel the conspiracists out there? Uh, you know, talking about Facebook, Jim, as we're taking a look at the results, um, they did not suffer from that boycott from advertisers. The top 100 advertisers, I think, went from 20% of total revenues to 16%. They clearly have a long tail there. They've got an endlessly replenished supply of advertisers, it would appear. Uh, the guidance of the revenue trends as well. I mean, May and June, we know, were very strong after April, which, of course, was, was not particularly strong. And yet they guided to uh, July uh, as being a deceleration, yes. at least, implied from their guidance. A lot of people don't buy it. Um, given May and June would have been like this, you'd have July decelerating, given what they're talking about for second half guidance. So not clear how that's going to be taken. Um, but uh, and they continue to, you know, they took down some of the expense guide as well. Uh, Jim, overall, uh, very strong. It's selling advertising, as we know, is an incredibly high margin business. Yes. And uh, the shops was a brilliant idea because they finally realized that their best ally are small, medium sized businesses. Stop going after consumer pr uh, packaged goods. And you saw the same thing, by the way. Pinterest had uh, a big gain in the number of users. Now we think they can convert. Otherwise, the stock wouldn't be up nine. But the Facebook call, when I say uh, a comedy, what they, it basically is is saying, listen, America really does love us. Maybe the politicians don't, but America does. And the world does. And the people have spoken. They like to go there and they like to shop and the return on investment, which they should have covered. I was surprised they didn't cover the return on investment of when you place an ad is is extraordinary. Now, of course, we're, we're leaving out Apple way too much because uh, 
Apple was, uh, I would say, um, one of those quarters that was supposed to be a nothing quarter. And it's turned into just a fantastic quarter because of service, uh, uh, because of wearables. These are things that America has discovered are also indispensable. Think about these companies. They're in our lives. I mean, most companies are never in your life. I mean, what, IBM? How is IBM in your life? I mean, Ford's been in your life in the $6 stock. Carl, these companies have managed to be able to ingratiate, I don't know, how do you put it, that they, you don't, you get up and they're in your face and you like them. You like their face. They're unbelievable. (laughs) I struggle to talk about how great that Apple call was. Tim Cook, top of game. Remember those guys who said that uh, the best days are behind them? He should take a truck and run over him. I mean, this thing is unbelievable. (laughs) Well, in some ways, uh, the conference call did exactly that. Here's what Cook said last night. iPhone revenue grew 2% this quarter. In April, we expected year-over-year performance to worsen, but we saw better-than-expected demand in May and June. We attribute this increase in demand to several interactive causes including a strong iPhone SE launch, continued economic stimulus, and potentially some benefit from shelter-in-place restrictions lifting around the world. Hard to figure out whether... Right, Jim, so... It, it's, you know, Carl, there were mixed messages there. I mean, did it do well because of stay in place? Uh, did it do well because of the pandemic? And I think what it really did was... Uh, a quarter that shouldn't have happened. It should not without the, without so many stores, without a brand new product. And what it's, what it says is they're finally there. It's a service revenue company that has an f- unbelievable platform, which is the phone. And I know this word is overused, but it actually, in this case, works. It's an ecosystem with a flywheel, David. I'll throw in the flywheel. Throw in the flywheel. Listen, the last that, that last sign services. Remember, when we were talking about the continued growth of services. It is now, as you see, 50 percent of uh, of overall revenues during a quarter, at least compared to the iPhone. That's very significant. That continues yeah. to grow at a rapid pace, as we know, Jim. We've talked about it a great deal. Of course, investors willing to pay a higher multiple for recurring revenues, which are part of that 13 billion you're talking about for that quarter. Um, you know, Backing up a bit, Jim, as we look at the broader market and the struggle that value investors have had, I mean, this just reinforces the bias to growth yet again, doesn't it? If you're a value investor, it's going to continue to be a tough road. I mean, Ford. uh, Although I know you'll argue that Apple could be a value stock. No, not anymore. No, Apple's Apple's Procter. No. Apple's okay. Procter. I mean, it finally yeah. did happen. They don't necessarily want to look. They're focused on how great the Mac is, which I think is terrific. They're focused on the acceptance of the phone and on the highest quality. I'm focused on the idea that now you've got this platform and we all pay. I mean, last night I paid I don't know how much to Apple. To, uh, every day I pay a little bit to Apple because I use the card. Uh, I, I pay for all the different services. And it, it's interesting because their bill that I paid usually comes up between 2.30 and 3.30 in the morning. And what they don't realize is I'm up and I see it. Most Americans don't see it. <laughs> they, they can't fool you by the time no, of day. I'm not. They can, they can do it. I mean, there is a window, although that storm last night, I was up since 1230. I don't know, people in the East, but it was just like, it was like 4th of July last night. I, I just think that when I, I look at it, they're so humble. The humility of this company. 
is staggering. They could come out and just say, look, we know we've changed everybody's view. And they could talk about when I talked to Tim Cook last night, he was talking about Greyhound. He likes Greyhound. I've not seen it. Anybody see it? You guys see it? You see some of the stuff on Apple? Hello? Crickets? Uh, morning David, show. Did we lose I haven't you? seen no, Greyhound David, yet, did we lose you? I haven't. Oh, no, okay. I haven't seen it. People lose yeah. each other all the time during the pain. I thought I lost you. Uh, he's so proud of Tim Cook. Is, that's a joke. <laughs> Tim Cook is so proud, Carl, of his productions. When you ask him what, what was he excited about when, when, uh, when Josh and I spoke with him? The productions, the awards, and how you got to get on the case and watch these. Where Carl, this is where his heart is. And I think yeah. that it's yeah, going to surprise I mean- us. I mean, yeah. we're coming off a week, Jim, where Netflix set the record for the most Emmy nominations ever uh, and HBO behind. So, But that's Apple style, right? Is to come in second yes. and then show everybody up. Yes. yes. They start small and they come see what people want and then boom. But you know what I'm most proud of last night? He, uh, he likes the democracy that I think we bring to the business. He likes the people who watch us. He knows that the people who watch us feel that they can't afford an individual share of a stock that's valued at such a high price. Now, we all know that 400 is the same as 10 or 100, whatever. But he knows psychologically that the regular viewer can't, doesn't want to buy Apple or can't buy Apple because of a $400 price tag. So he does the split. And I know it is just uh, chimerical. But it's going to make people love his stock. Love his stock. The other guy, you know, Jeff Bezos doesn't care if you love the stock. I don't know what Google cares about. Maybe spending a lot of money. Uh, but these—he really, genuinely cares about it. And I, I suggest that, that Facebook. Uh, it's time for them too. I know. Look, I grew up hmm. in an era where when a stock got to 100, when PepsiCo or Coca-Cola yeah. got to 100, now Coca-Cola can't get to 50, but what, what happens is they'd split it and bring more people in. Then we went away from that. And now people are doing these individual fractions, and I don't mind that. That's great. And I like Acorn, too. But the idea that he wants more people in his stock is refreshing. It's refreshing. He doesn't play to the hedge funds. He plays to the people who buy right. the product and have 99% satisfaction rate. That's what he plays to. Don't don't forget who's his largest investor. I think his name's Buffett, right? Isn't that yeah. isn't that likely? Well, that's yeah. just, I think that's yeah, Buffett's be winner. Uh, you know, Buffett's yeah. rest of it performance is, is being yeah. uh, uh, it, Apple great. obscures. No, he bought some more Bank of America. No. Sold. Yes, he did a lot more. He owns over over eleven percent of that. Maybe but one day, maybe he'll own hundred percent of it. Eleven point eight at at Berkshire. Guys, do we have time to quickly hit Alphabet, which of the four we haven't hit? It is going, it is going to be up uh, this morning, as we pointed out, of course, up. Other than, uh, unlike the other three companies. And Jim has said this much more levered to the reopening of the economy. And therefore, it was a down revenue quarter for the company. Um, at the same time, Jim, you know, there are bright spots. I mean, they didn't buy back a lot of stock. The rate was only about 3%. I think there's some unhappiness among some investors. Perhaps they could have bought more. But the cloud business, which you've been focused on yeah. to some extent, is worth a mention. $3 billion in the quarter. I think up 43% year over year. Uh, a big backlog. They're becoming more competitive. They're still nowhere near the levels in terms of market share of AWS or Microsoft's Azure. Uh, but it is becoming a more competitive offering. And overall, you can see the stock is going to look a bit lower uh, as we see revenues. Well, We're down 2% year That is year. Thomas Curran, uh, who now who was put in for cloud. 
He's an incredibly competitive figure. It's what Google needs. They outfit needs. They need to be better at YouTube. They have not still. I mean, I hate to just keep saying they haven't monetized. Why don't they just change it up and bring somebody in from, uh, I don't want to say necessarily from Hollywood, but someone who has the experience to be able to trans, to make that uh, very, uh, let's just say, catch-as-catch-can operation into a big moneymaker. But they did say, uh, Ruth Porat did say that each month was a little bit better. Uh, and I know that given all the travel and leisure they have, you actually need it's not look, it's not Southwest here, but you start you need to see that cohort, that that silo of ads come back. And Ruth gave you the hope that it would. And that, that's why uh, the good part of the uh, of the conference call was that. But, David, one of the things that we have to separate from 2000, uh, 2020 from 1999, the cash positions of these companies are extraordinary versus oh the debt positions. Yes. 1999. Yes, extraordinary. I mean, Apple, of course, net net out debt. They still have 81 billion in cash. Their total cash is 194 billion. Oh, Google as well. The numbers are enormous. As you Facebook has what more than 50 billion in cash. Now, that's what it really gets me mad when people say they have too much. Yeah. They're too big. Whatever. What are you going to do? You want them to trade through cash? Is that what they should do? Trade through cash? I mean, Amazon. Remember well, this was when the discussion well, know, earlier so. in the week, Jim. Uh, Credit Suisse. Yeah. We talked to John Chambers about this earlier in the week. I mean, the market caps are big for a reason. It's whether it's margin or cash or relative debt load. And that's why the rotation of value, Jim, I assume you agree, if it ever comes, is going to have to be because of unequivocally good news on public health or economic recovery, right? Bingo. Exactly right. And I don't see it. We got a lot more to get to, guys. Uh, we'll do Exxon, Cat, uh, Under Armour, Pins, Ford, Merck, Gilead, uh, Fauci, and Redfield. By the way, testifying this morning in front of a Senate Select Subcommittee. S and P needs 25 basis points to make it the best July since 2010. Back in just a moment. Welcome back. Promises to be a very interesting session as we end the trading week in about nine minutes. Let's get to Caterpillar, though, in the Mad Dash, another company reporting numbers. You know, David, there was a time if Caterpillar had orders, uh, resource orders down 35 percent, total orders down 24 percent, then what you would have is a hideous loss. But no, what you have literally is a company that was able to, through cost control, to have an OK number. Now, uh, will Caterpillar... Uh, be up big? No. But the fact is that they have what I call blowout cost control. And this company is not the old Caterpillar. And if things, we were talking about what happens if things get good in value. This stock is going to be the one that people reach for. I used to think it was going to be Emerson. And I still like Emerson. And Mr. Farr is going to be stepping down. But, David, th- this, this company, Caterpillar, is going to make a huge amount of money if resource ever comes back. You might just say that Umpleby's... Uh, cutting back and cutting back because it won't come back. But if you want value there, I give you that one. OK, there I'm, I'm, I'll give you that. That's value. All right. Well, I mean, commodities are, are moving higher to well, a certain extent. Stuff that's what people I thought. dig for. I don't know. That's why I thought. Yeah. I mean, when, and when when you've got Elon Musk talking about nickel. Right. You need cat to bring out nickel. When you go to a gold mine, all you see are caterpillar caterpillar trucks. So I think this company, I think Umblebee's doing a very good job. And I do think that if you want value, go with that one. I, I don't want value. To me, I want Facebook. I want Fang. I wouldn't have created Fang if I didn't want it. I had to just brag for a second. <laughs> All right, Carl, we're going to get in another break, I think, before we get that opening bell. Of course, 
Uh, so many other things to focus on this morning, by the way, Jim. we got Merck I want to get to as Devil well Newell. a bit later. But remember that? It. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Of course I remember them. How could I forget? I was supposed to be off today. Uh, yeah, Merck's How could worth I come uh, on? touching on. Uh, Sanofi and uh, Glaxo in a deal with the government, Gilead and more. We'll take a break and be back in just a moment. Don't go away. S&P gainers for the month to date sort of tell an interesting story. There's some outliers in there like L Brands, but chips with AMD, uh, materials, Weyerhaeuser, and uh, housing, obviously, Pulte Group, all holding on to gains that are well into the double digits. More Squawk on the Street continues in just a moment. We continue to look at mega cap tech this morning, Apple included, Jim. Uh, it was not just about the conference call, not just about Tim Cook's appearance on the Hill th- this week virtually, but also your conversation with him about M&A. Very interesting because he was reacting directly to what other companies said on the Hill uh, about anti-competitive acquisitions. Uh, I, I think you should listen to it. It's pretty interesting. Oh, well, or, See, I, I think what Tim Cook was saying is, is that you basically don't want to you want to develop in-house. Uh, and he was very cognizant that that Facebook bought Instagram and the, the Congress just didn't like that. Now, uh, there was a congressperson who called uh, talked about uh, Systrom. It's actually Systrom. Uh, but there is an, uh, a belief on, I think, David on the Hill, frankly, that when you make an acquisition, you're doing it to squelch competition. So maybe it's better to just not buy anyone. Yeah. Uh, well, it's, it's hard to imagine. Given the trouble Google is having right now, or Alphabet and buying Fitbit, right. it's really hard to imagine any of these companies being able to pursue a large acquisition. Full stop. Yeah, and I think that that's it, it's just so true. And I think Tim Cook got the message a lot earlier. Uh, I, I, look, Amazon's all homegrown. They, they used to be, right? Remember, they bought Zappos. They bought, some, they bought you know, Whole Foods. But those are not meant to be anti-competitive. You could argue they bought Whole Foods in order to be able to dominate the food industry, and they shouldn't have been allowed in. But I don't think anyone can. That's not a great, rigorous case. But what I liked about what Tim Cook was talking about is, hey, look, um, people have presented ideas, but we're going to develop it ourselves. And I think that's worked. I remember when I tried to sell them on Netflix to get them to buy Netflix. And he was like, oh, Jim. And I told him to, there are a lot of O-Jims. I get a lot of O-Jims. It's okay. O-Jim. 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 Yeah. <laughs> David, yeah, what do you, what we do you had to, For a I'm while sorry, there, we had to be satisfied. No, I was going to say, we had to be satisfied in terms of Apple M&A with Beats, which was what, $3 billion, right? Yeah. Uh, one of the biggest deals they've ever done. Uh, guys, there's yep. the opening bell uh, and a look at the S&P heat map. At the uh, NYSE, it's Churchill Capital Corp. Uh, a SPAC celebrating its IPO at the NASDAQ, another IPO, Vasta Platform, a provider of K-12 education in Brazil. Speaking of IPOs, David, I'm sure you saw Reuters uh, arguing that ByteDance is considering listings in Hong Kong or Shanghai. Yeah, I did. Uh, and, you know, I've been doing a good amount of reporting on this specific, though, really to TikTok and the future of that service in the United States. And and guys, listen, it's unclear where things exactly stand in terms of that. But I can tell you, it's certainly the subject of a lot of back and forth between the U.S. government, as you might imagine, and the uh, management of ByteDance, which is the owner of TikTok. And, of course, TikTok itself, run by Kevin Mayer, the former uh, senior Disney executive. Um, It's going to be fascinating to see where this ends up and how and what the U.S. government is willing to allow TikTok to do or whether they would move to say no more. 
Do you have to become a full U.S. company? But that's separate from what you're referring to, Carl, which is ByteDance potentially a listing in either Shanghai or, um, or in Hong Kong, according to Reuters. Again, though, ByteDance, about a $130 billion company. Um, a lot of activity they have is centered in China, but they own TikTok, which could be as much as a 50, 60, who knows, $70 billion asset. If you had to divest it, how exactly you go about doing that and making it a U.S. company will become somewhat complex. So we're watching that closely. By the way, you know, we keep an eye on all the capital markets. Speaking of huge IPOs, guys, don't forget Ant Financial, which is in the process of listing on Shanghai's star market. It's not going to be listed here in the United States. It's going to be one of the largest technology companies in the world, fintech, over a $200 billion value. Could be the largest IPO ever, by the way. Not going to be have a presence here in the United States, Jim. And I guess you're happy about that. Yes, I am. I mean, I, I talked about that with, with Leader McCarthy the other day. Uh, why do they uh, they come to our capital markets? They tend to hurt a lot of people when they when they do come in. Yes, it's true. There's there's been an Alibaba, but we know that's that's basically kind of an American looking company. But yeah, it, it's time. You know, I think it's time to stop this stuff. I mean, it, it, it is. Yeah, but don't you think, Jim, don't you think you have more in some way you have more control when they list and, and raise money here in our capital markets over those companies to some extent, their no. governance, just other things, rather than having Ant Financial be this giant around the world, conceivably, in the financial services industry, but have no presence here and no levers whatsoever that we have to in, in terms of their business? I think that when we're fully allowed to do everything we want in their country, they can come and do what we can. If they, when they say MasterCard and Visa, the world is your oyster, then I'm fine with it. But they don't. They don't play fair. And these companies, as we know, tend to, in the end to be controlled by the Chinese Communist Party, which the last time I looked is not the pajama party. Which plays in, Carl, to exactly why the U.S. government is so focused on TikTok. And we'll see where that ends up. Savior for Facebook, Come back right? around to where you started us. Sa- savior yeah. for Facebook. I mean, there's, <laughs> right? I mean, hey, listen, we're not the biggest. I mean, you got TikTok. I-, I thought that Mark, Mark did a good job. These people all first, they're like, sure. Testimony. They're sure. How do, how, do, how do they get to be? Right. I mean, it's Tim, it's Jeff. I mean, only, is there any one of these guys? Yeah, Google. And no wonder Google's not even up. They don't have a share. Ruth? Well, I was going to, you know, Ruth? you mentioned, um, you talked about uh, expenses over at uh, Cat uh, and Google, Jim. I mean, in any other ordinary quarter, we probably would have zeroed in more on expenses up seven instead of 12 last quarter or CapEx uh, down 12. Uh, I mean, discipline at, in terms of spending at Google has been a story for the ages. Yes. Uh, they still, I think... They don't. They can't come to grips with what it looks like themselves. I mean, YouTube. How can they not be making a fortune? YouTube. And how can the other bets continue to be other bets? At least the spending for the other bets uh, was down, and I like that. But when Facebook does uh, does something, they, they intend ultimately to monetize it. When Alphabet does something, they intend ultimately to just keep ultimately uh, healthcare. Why can't they make <laughs> a lot of money on healthcare? They've got two separate healthcare divisions. Tell me that that's right. Two. I mean, they're not even a healthcare company. I mean, honestly, I'd go in there with a sickle. I really would. Um, like Levin from, no, never mind. It's Tolstoy. They, they really need, they got to get some, they have discipline, uh, but it's really just to me, I can't be disciplined. They got to come in and say, this is not working. We got to get out of this. We can't have two healthcare companies. We're not Merck for heaven's sake, which is up to on a decent key true to number. So I just think that they have to yeah. become 
They have they have to figure out what the hell they are. And they still haven't done that. Uh, David, while I've got you on the phone here. Yes, Uh, sir. uh, What do you think? NVIDIA going to buy going to buy arm? I don't know. Uh, I did make some calls on that. Uh, you know, you do have bankers actively involved. SoftBank there, I think, is the interesting part of the story. The, the number of companies and par- uh, ownership stakes that they've been monetizing lately. I don't know if we have it, but take a look at what's happened to that stock. I mean, so much from Masa's son not being in a good position anymore. Yeah, the Vision Fund is still troubled, but they have been um, they have been um, uh, selling assets. We know $22 billion worth, roughly, of, almost, of, of mm-hmm. T-Mobile. Uh, and Arm is yet another another company that potentially they're at least looking to monetize. Jim, I don't know. You know, Arm, a lot of its revenue is from selling IP to what would be competitors of NVIDIA. I'm not quite sure how that would work were NVIDIA to actually own Arm. It would be. Whether it, they could right. step up and pay the price that Masa and SoftBank and Rajiv over there would actually want for the asset, given they paid $32 billion for it. So, uh, you know, let's wait and see. Over the next few weeks, this will likely play out. But it was an interesting report you're referencing from Bloomberg saying right. NVIDIA is the one who's most focused on buying ARM potentially in the near term. And it's hurting NVIDIA stock. I think that's wrong because what would happen if they got it and paid a decent price? NVIDIA and AMD would be, it'd be a pincer move against the uh, now hobbled, uh, pitifully helpless giant Intel. Uh, uh, Intel's <laughs> lack of great... Nixon. Yeah. yeah, I I do feel that um, they do feel kind of North Korea like, geez, I don't know what the hell happened there. I mean, you guys like you have any intel you're talking about? Yeah. What the hell happened? I mean, that was that was an embarrassment. And then they got rid of the engineer. I mean, they got to get some engineers there. They got to go down to Harvey Mudd or something or Stanford and get some new people. We you know, it's it's funny. We asked Bob Swan um, last week about whether or not his background in finance, instead of engineering, Jim, was a liability. And he said that he had engineers to manage what he called his blind spots. And then 24 hours later, uh, the engineering chief was gone. Yeah. Look, we all know Intel as being this incredible company. It can be a great company. Again, I remember when I was an Intelaholic uh, and went to their plants when they opened, they were people who you didn't want to talk to because they uh, couldn't because they just viewed you as someone who's stupid because you did not have a background in being able to make incredibly great chips. And now I feel like they're just another company. It never just used to be another company. It was a dominant company in the way we speak about the Amazons and the Facebooks now. Uh, but no, yeah, no longer. Or, or, or the NVIDIAs. Or the, yes. Yeah. Well, um, Jensen Wong. Guys, is, well, I mean, a, you, you say it many times. Da Vinci is what I think you I actually think Da Vinci use. is um, Jim, is you mentioned Merck. And I did want to come back to it, not so much for the quarter itself, but let's get back to the pandemic. I mean, thankfully, new cases seem to have plateaued, but not thankfully, they're plateauing at a very high level right now in the country. Talked often about uh, the efforts towards an oral antiviral. Here's what Roger Perlmutter had to say on the conference call. Remember, Merck licensed an oral antiviral. It had been EIDD 2801. It now goes by MK4482. Uh, that's Roger Perlmutter. He runs all science, all labs at Merck. During the second quarter, we for- forged a partnership with Ridgeback Bio to develop MK4482 uh, that disrupts the application of the SARS genome. It's now been studied in ascending dose protocol. It's been shown to be well tolerated during five-day oral administration, achieving drug levels we would expect that would be more sufficient to block viral replication. Compound currently under study in three different phase two programs and outpatients 
as well as inpatients here in the U.S. and in the U.K. And based partially on the results of these studies, Merck says it does expect to initiate two large pivotal trials, one in outpatients, second in hospitalized COVID patients beginning in September. This is important. Uh, This could be maybe even a game changer. Should you actually be able to take a five-day course of an oral antiviral if you've been exposed to the virus or if you show any symptoms and have it stop it? Yeah, I mean, you combine that with what Sorrento did today, S-R-N-E, which is they're taking a Columbia University product, which is from saliva, give you an instant, instant test about whether you have it. And then you take the Merck drug and we would be having NFL. I mean, even the Marlins would be playing if if we got this thing. It's very important, David. Quick testing, nationwide testing. Well, and then and then that. And I'm willing to get to wait for a vaccine if we can get that. Because that's what this is actually better than a vaccine, because there's so many anti-vaxxers in this country now. So many people right. who just you, you, you can't well, count on people to take it. Yeah, there's that, Jim. And there's a piece in Stat News this morning, which I'm sure you've already read, basically arguing that the pressure that FDA regulators are going to be under increases, as, as Ken Frazier has pointed out, is going to increase the risk that you either put something out that's dangerous or ineffective, people go out again and then transmission goes through the roof. Oh, yeah. I mean, look, J&J is taking the opposite approach, obviously, because what they're saying is you, you have to put these you have to give them the drug, the vaccine. You also have to give other people a placebo and then you have to send them out into the public. And when you're Moderna, I mean, what are they going to do? Go into like hot spots? I mean, they're leading these their lives and you, you might not be able to find out whether the placebo is actually better than the vaccine. But that's why you need 30,000 people. But the idea that they're going to get this done by October is just crazy. I mean, Johnson and Johnson, I try to say, guys, can you get this done? Can you get this done? And they're like, look, we, even enrolling this thing is going to take a month to do, if not more. And remember, they outsource the enrollment. And trying to get in, the thing's a nightmare. So don't even try, guys. Yeah. It's, so that leads us really quickly. We have to watch it. Yeah. Go ahead, Carl. Sorry. Uh, sorry, 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 David. I was just going to say it, it, we haven't really touched on the impasse in Congress. The Senate's adjourned for the week. Uh, I mean, negotiations are continuing, Jim. But as we said yesterday, these benefits expire tonight. And is a skinny deal possible before we get into the weekend? I think we have a skinny deal. I don't think it's going to happen before we get in the weekend. I think they're going to work around the clock. I think that what they're really after, uh, they wanted the Republicans and Steve Mnuchin, Secretary, uh, Secretary Mnuchin, uh, they're not going to go for the trillion dollar grand plan. But I do believe that when we come in on Monday, roll call here, that the rental eviction issue will be on the table and the enhanced unemployment there's give by the Republicans. And in other words, I think that there will be a skinny deal. I think it won't be completed until Sunday night, but I think we'll get it. And once again, the people who don't think that stocks do nothing but go up, David, are, oh, I meant that's a different David. I think that people are going to uh, say that, wow, they got a deal. And I think that Secretary Mnuchin is determined. I think that he feels that the people who are going to lose those benefits are going to be uh, uh, angry and upset as they should be. And this rental eviction, we don't talk about that enough. This is for when you have a government mortgage. But I mean, I have tenants in my place. People, people don't people are not paying. Yeah. Carl, I'm yeah. sorry. I took I know, too Jim. long. And, and, and The Washington Post today says the White House may be willing to break with McConnell uh, and forego liability protection protection, which would be interesting. Agreed. Let's get to Bob Asani here this morning on this Friday and see what's moving. Hey, Bob. 
Good morning, Carl. Uh, happy Friday, everybody. Uh, this is not a particularly good open. I know the S&P is up, but it's up because of a couple of big tech names here. So just look at the sectors and you can see what I call the two economies here. Tech's up because Apple's up today. Consumer discretionary is up because Amazon is up. A lot of the other stuff in those sectors are not up. But there's the other half of the U.S. economy, the industrials, the energies and banks. They're not doing anything at all today. Now, we're halfway through earnings. The good news is earnings have been better than expected. In fact, notably better than expected. So we do this a lot. Normally about 80 percent, 70 percent of the companies beat estimates, this time 80. But what's really important is the extent to which they're beating. Uh, Yesterday, they were beating by about 13 percent, the average company. That's amazing because normally the average beat is about 3% if you put up that next full screen. And it's going to be even higher today when you factor in what Apple and Amazon actually had to do. So these are very big beats. And the analysts have been clueless. They haven't had a lot of guidance help. And they're being very conservative. And they've been underestimating how the earnings are coming out here. The big story is tech just keeps winning, not just Apple, but everybody in general. So the S&P 500 is down 38 percent. Tech's only down 2 percent for their earnings for the year here. And online buying is exploding. The PayPal CEO, Dan Schulman, I mentioned this yesterday, was just ecstatic on the conference call. He said, we've tipped into a digital first economy. So there's two economies out there. That's the story. It's not a split between Main Street and Wall Street. There's a digital economy. That's the big tech names. And then there's the hands-on economy. Everybody else, services and travel and leisure, industrials and real estate. And you want to see everybody else? Look at Chevron today. You can hear this a lot from these companies. Financial results may continue to be depressed into the third quarter of 2020. That's the other economy. That's the one that's a little bit worrisome. No guidance from a lot of this other economy companies this week. You notice this? Caterpillar and Colgate, Chevron and Exxon. Look at all these companies that aren't providing any guidance. This is the other half of the economy. And when I say the other half of the economy, you can see it in the sector analysis. Wall Street knows there's two economies that are out there. Take a look at this. Technology up 6% and everything else is basically down since the highs on June 8th. That's two economies. Carl, back to you. All right, Bob, thanks. We're getting a Chicago PMI for the month. Let's get to Rick Santelli. Hey, Rick. Uh, A shockingly strong read for our July uh, Chicago PMI. We're expecting a number around 44. Zoom, 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 51.9. 51.9, that's the best read since May of uh, 2019 when it was at 52.8. So definitely surprising, especially considering what it was a couple months ago that our May read at uh, 32.3 was the worst read in 38 years going back to 1982. Now, let's get to the charts. Of course, last trading day of July, let's look at some month-to-date charts, month-to-date of two-year note yields. Now, of course, computerized scaling masks the fact that uh, we closed at 15, we're currently at 11. It's only four basis points, but maybe the best way to really get a handle on exactly how big a move that is for two-year is to consider it's down 27%. So uh, I don't like to use percentages on yields, but we really are in a very compressed state, especially on those short maturities. Move down the curve and look at a month-to-date chart of 10s. They closed last month at 66 basis points. So basically, we're here at 55, down 11. Uh, we can see that that's not as big a move, but it's every bit as important as long maturities, of course, have been giving it up, flattening the curve. Doesn't help uh, the banking stocks. And we all know if you look at some of the like stocks in Europe, uh, the, the banking industry as a whole is getting decimated. Negative interest rates in Europe aren't helping. And finally, a month to date of the dollar index, it's down four and a half percent for the month. Not a good month. Carl, Jim, David, back to you. 
Rick, we'll see in a little bit for uh, you, Mish, uh, Rick Santelli in Chicago. We'll take a break here. Uh, Dow's roughly flat, even as Apple's adding about 150 points to the average. And we'll check in with uh, Patrick's Frisk of Under Armour later on this morning on their earnings and pretty good results. Back in a minute. Guys, couldn't end a week without taking a look back at uh, the incredible moves in Eastman Kodak. Of course, the one-time giant in photography refashioning itself now, it would seem, as our maker of chemicals for the generic drug industry. We watched that stock reach over $50 a share. It began the week as about a $150 million or so market cap company. It edged up closer to over $2 billion. Why? Well, uh, it's a strange series of events, and it's sort of trying to piece it together is an interesting puzzle. But it does start, it would seem, with something called the International Development Finance Corp. Uh, and the fact that its mission originally to actually invest in developing countries was supplemented by an executive order from the president on uh, May 14th. In that executive order, um, signed May 14th, it said the chief executive officer of the DFC, the International Development Finance Corp., may use the authority as he deems appropriate for the domestic production of strategic resources needed to respond to the COVID-19 outbreak or to strengthen any relevant domestic supply chains. That seemed to result in a loan of $765 million to Kodak for the development of a business that would provide chemicals and bring them here to the United States in terms of the supply chain for the drug industry. Earlier this week, Squawk Box talked to Adam Bowler. He's the man who runs the DFC about how all of this happened. Take a listen. About two months ago, I was in uh, Air Force One with the president. He signed an executive order to allow my agency, DFC, to invest in the United States. And it's to invest in the United States to reshore critical industries, um, things that we need uh, if there's ever going to be another pandemic so that we're not caught in the same place. So Kodak was referred to us because we actually found somebody that wanted to pay, place a big advance order for pharmaceuticals in Kodak. And Kodak had been considering creating a division focused on pharmaceuticals. Kodak Pharmaceuticals. Very much unclear exactly how that came about. How did Kodak, a company we know, of course, as a, as a photography company, get to the point where it decided it wanted to produce chemicals and then communicate that and get a $765 million loan of 25 years, which was multiples of the company's market value, certainly at the time of the loan. Now, this did send the shares much higher. They are retreating today. We've talked so much about speculation in this market, the presence of traders for the likes of Robinhood. Uh, but it is certainly an interesting one. And, and, and we also spoke, or I should say Squawk Box spoke, to um, Kodak's executive chairman. He's the CEO of another company. He's executive chairman of Kodak. And here's what he said as to how they're going about using the money. We're using buildings that we already own. That drops a lot of our costs. And then through continuous manufacturing and innovation, we feel that we can become very competitive. Uh, the park we're building in is Eastman Business Park. It's 1,200 acres, has its own power, steam, waste recovery, rail system. I mean, the infrastructure's there. I'm not paying for that. Those are huge costs that come out of this, you know, this entity. And uh, that gives us a very competitive advantage. Well, you know, we're not going to know if anybody's sold. Contends to take a look at his stock options in terms of their expiration, in terms of how many shares he had. And then we'll end as well, guys, with the overall ownership. Uh, as I pointed out, George Carfunkel, Renee Carfunkel, the biggest single owners 
of Kodak. I think we have all that for you. There's his stock options. Mm. And there's uh, the largest owners. It's been a great week for anyone who owned Kodak at levels prior to this week. I know, Interesting David, story. That, that, Carl, uh, back Peter to Navarro you. Uh, has been saying endlessly, we've got to get these vital ingredients out of China. Took a look at that building and recognized that 60,000 people used to be there. The building is up and running and he felt it could be turnkey. It's a good look at that uh, incredible week uh, that uh, Kodak's had, David. We'll take a short break here. Uh, get uh, Kramer stop trading in a moment. We've had four days of gains for all three major indices, and the Nasdaq's going to try to make it five here, obviously on the back of Apple, Amazon, Facebook, which all hit all-time highs at the open. More Squawk on the Street in just a moment. Let's get to Jim and stop trading. I like the oil executives, but I've been no fan of the stocks. And this morning, Chevron, which had been the beacon in the group, really laid an egg. Uh, one of the worst losses, worst loss in, in three decades. And frankly, uh, citing just the glut and uh, the COVID. But what it says to me is, well, why would you ever want to own something that is completely hostage to those when you can own a Facebook up 8% or an Amazon up 4% or an Apple up 6%? So the Chevron... It's just disappointing. And I think Mike Worth's a really good executive. But once again, it's just a bad business and a bad group of stocks. Yeah, even even some of the charts out of Exxon's call, Jim, were oh, a little discouraging. Borrowing um, too much money. Enjoy the weekend. Good to be gardening. Got to get on the better side of my wife. <laughs> well, She's not on the right side right now. Just watch which seeds. Watch which <laughs> seeds you plant, Jim. You've been listening to the opening bell on CNBC's Squawk on the Street.